they represent three sides of the goddess. Goddess, they're all one, but um, they also represent solid, vital, and peculiar. Seems like the whole universe is divided in these three things. So the solid goddess is Saraswati, and she governs what? What is solid? Solid. Solid. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, what is solid? Oh, solid is uh, orderly, intellectual, um, artistic. Uh, so all the arts are covered by Saraswati and verbal communication governs words and so on. And what? Slow. <laughs> and then we have Lakshmi. Uh, well, we should say Durga first. Durga is uh, rather ferocious. She represents the vital, <clears throat> and that's uh, full of energy and um, activity and power and strength. And then we have Lakshmi, who represents the heart and love and money and all the good things, good luck. But as, what? I was about to say that as we know, good fortune is fickle. In, uh, in Western mythology, they talk about the Wheel of Fortune, which uh, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. It goes up and then you come down. And um, so these three things <clears throat> are the uh, three aspects of the goddess. Uh, and because so much horror is going on in the world, so, much, uh, so many terrible things, it's, uh, I thought it would be appropriate to do a few mantras to the goddess for peace, for love, for something good. Um, and the mantras are, uh, this is a mantra of the goddess, and they represent all the different aspects. They represent Lakshmi, Durga, Saraswati, uh, all the mantras. Uh, so it's Om, Aim, Rim, Klim, Krim, Shrim, Dum, Parashakye, Namaha. Parashakti is the supreme Shakti, the, the, the goddess that incorporates all the other goddesses. So we'll say that 27 times in order for there to be peace in the world, sanity in the world, love in the world. Yes, it's impossible. But we ask for it anyway. But we ask for it because in the long run, it all will happen. It just not maybe on our schedule but somebody else has the schedule, and he is happy with that schedule. His name is Shiva, so he's, uh, he's got his own timetable, but we can ask him to speed it up a little bit. So may there be peace, may people suffer less, may there be less hatred and more love in the world. So let's uh, do these mantras now. If, you, if there's too much, you can alternate with them, but we'll do 27. Mm-hmm. 
Once again, welcome to satsang. Uh, I like to begin every talk by remembering my guru. He used to say at the beginning of every one of his talks in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmane Kesat. What does that mean? I welcome you all with all my heart. Very beautiful. <clears throat> but he didn't just give lip service to it, he actually taught that and he lived it. To welcome another person with love is the great worship. And so on uh, the occasion of Navratri, let's uh, put that into action. <clears throat> and now, I, traditionally on Navratri, I draw on the works of one particular great being. And that is the 19th century saint of uh, Calcutta, uh, Sri Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna Paramahansa. And he lived a very short life, 50 years, died in 1886, uh, but he had an immense impact, which continues on uh, to this day. And he was a great devotee of the Divine Mother, uh, a great worshiper of Kali, that was his particular goddess. <clears throat> and fortunately, okay, fortunately we have um, a wonderful account of what it was like to be with Ramakrishna in one of the great spiritual, modern spiritual classics called the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Everybody should uh, own that and read in it. It's a beautiful book. <clears throat> a devotee, a school teacher named Mahendranath Gupta, who refers to himself as M in the book, came for a visit. He, I think a friend brought him, uh, and he visited Ramakrishna, uh, and he started writing down everything that happened there, and it gives an almost cinematic depiction of it, so you feel like you're right there with Ramakrishna. And Ramakrishna's ways, and among all the the uh, different personalities I mentioned, solid, vital, and peculiar, Ramakrishna was a saint of the extremely peculiar variety. He was very emotional. He was very childlike, very charming. Uh, but he had the intellect, a tremendous intellect, also. Even though he was a devotee, a bhakta, you shouldn't underestimate his intellect. He had penetrating wisdom as well as that. <clears throat> so this is from uh, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Um, we've been drawing on it several times. We've, we, uh, we saw his first visit to Ramakrishna, his second, third, I think we're about the fourth visit, maybe the fifth. Um, <clears throat> Ramakrishna himself was a Brahmin priest and he was in charge of the, of the uh, temple, which is on a branch of the Ganges near Calcutta in Dakshineswar, and a big temple complex there, and he was the, the priest there, and he would meet devotees that come to meet him there. But on this occasion, March 11th, 1882, 
uh, Ramakrishna was visiting devotee's house in, uh, in I always want to say Mumbai, but it was in Calcutta. <clears throat> so this is uh, from that day. M writes, about eight o'clock in the morning, Sri Ramakrishna went as planned to Balaram Bose's house in Calcutta. Balaram Bose was uh, a great devotee of Ramakrishna, and the house that that uh, that he's visiting was where Ramakrishna usually would go and even stay over in uh, in Mumbai. <laughs> and uh, uh, and later, after his death, he gave that house to the Ramakrishna mission. I should say that Ramakrishna is uh, still, there's a mission that was founded by his devotees, the Ramakrishna mission, uh, and they publish his books, and they do work around the world, educational, spiritual work, everywhere. <clears throat> so it was the day, the day of a, of a, a spring festival devoted to Lord Krishna. Ram Manmohan Rakal, Nitya Gopal, and other devotees were with him. M2 came as bidden by the master. The master was inviting him. So he came to, he told him in the previous visit, meet us in at Balaram Bose's house on this occasion. <clears throat> Rakal, some of you know, later became Swami Brahmananda. And when you think about uh, the work that continued on past uh, Ramakrishna's life, you think of two major swamis, Vivekananda, uh, world-famous orator and swami, and Brahmananda, these two. Brakal later became Brahmananda. And Bra he was the first president of the, of the uh, uh, Ramakrishna Society and so on. <clears throat> the devotees and the master sang and danced in a state of divine fervor. Several of them were in an ecstatic mood. Of course, Ramakrishna loved to chant. And they, he would go into, the characteristic of him as a peculiar saint was he would start chanting and thinking about God and he would go into samadhi, into ecstatic states of consciousness. <clears throat> Nitya Gopal's chest glowed with the surge of emotion. Rakhal, that's the future Brahmananda, lay on the floor in ecstasy, completely unconscious of the world. The master put his hand on Rakhal's chest and said, peace, be quiet. <laughs> this was Rakhal's first experience of ecstasy. He lived with his father in Calcutta and now and then visited the master at Dakshineswar. About this time, he'd studied a short while with Vidyasagar's school at Champakur. Later in the book, we meet Vidyasagar as a kind of a sage and pundit. When the music was over, the devotees sat down for their meal. Balaram stood there humbly, like a servant. Nobody would have taken him for the master of the house. And was still a stranger to the devotees having met only Narendra at Dakshineswar. He'd only met uh, the future Vivekananda at the temple. <clears throat> so that was his visit there. Now he's back at Dakshineswar at the temple. A few days later, M visited the master at Dakshineswar. It was between four and five o'clock in the afternoon. 
the master, and he was sitting on the steps of the Shiva temple. There were many, many shrines in this temple. So various, all the gods and goddesses were there. <clears throat> so they were sitting on the steps, looking at the temple of Krishna and Radha across the courtyard. The master went into an ecstatic mood. It was very hard for him to stay in a normal plane. If you spoke about God, he would just go off. <clears throat> Since his nephew Riddai's dismissal from the temple, Sri Ramakrishna had been living without an attendant. He had been dismissed for, I don't know, bad behavior, I'm not sure. <clears throat> On account of his frequent spiritual moods, he could hardly take care of himself. The lack of an attendant caused him great inconvenience. Sri Ramakrishna was talking to Kali, the divine mother of the universe. <coughs> so we saw Kali. <coughs> oh, we didn't see Kali. Kali is the, uh, the most extreme form of Durga. When Durga is in a really extreme mood, becomes Kali. What? Watch out. I'm you watch out. You have to watch out. You'll note that somebody's head is in her hands there, a demon, and various uh, heads are around, a mala of heads. All men, huh? <laughs> <coughs> and also, that's Lord Shiva that she's stomping on. So she's formidable, ferocious. And the blood is dripping from her mouth. She's not stomping, she's dancing. Dancing, dancing, I meant dancing. I meant dancing. And he's giving her permission to kill. He's in ecstasy. He's in ecstasy, he's enjoying it. <coughs> so this is the form of Kali that Ramakrishna, the form of the goddess Ramakrishna worship. And there was a particular statue, uh, Murti, of the goddess in the temple that he would go in and talk to and actually have dialogues in some altered state of consciousness. And there's a photograph. This is uh, the actual Kali that's there in Dakshinaswar. <coughs> okay. So anyway, he's talking to Kali. He said, Mother, everyone says, my watch alone is right. He's very, when he, especially in these moments when he's talking to the goddess, he becomes extremely childlike. And so he says, everyone says, <clears throat> I know that, thanks. Everyone says, my watch, only my watch can tell the right time. <clears throat> the Christians, the Brahmos, the Hindus, the Muslims, the Muslims, all say, my religion alone is true. <coughs> but mother, the fact is that nobody's watch is right. Who can truly understand you? So imagine they're sitting on the steps of the temple and Ramakrishna goes into an ecstatic state. Imagine yourself there. You're with Ramakrishna. He's gone into an ecstatic state and he's talking to the mother. And you're not seeing the mother, you're just seeing him looking at the temple there. And he's seeing the mother and talking. So imagine that experience. That would be good, wouldn't it? Be pretty good. 
<clears throat> says, who can truly understand you? But if a man prays to you with a yearning heart, uh, he can reach you through your grace by any path, mother. Show me sometime how the Christians pray to you in their churches. <clears throat> but mother, what will people say if I go in? Suppose they make a fuss. Suppose they don't allow me to enter the Kali temple again. Well then, show me the Christian worship from the door of the church. So I might get excluded from the Kali temple, so, so I'll just watch, I'll look at the Christian worship from the door. Of course, he very famously tried on every path, and he attained the goal of every path. <clears throat> Another day, the master was seated on the small couch in his room with his usual beaming countenance. M arrived with Kali Krishna, who did not know where his friend M was taking him. Didn't bother to tell him. He had only been told, if you want to see a grog shop, come with me. You will see a huge jar of wine there. That's what he told his friend. <clears throat> M related this to Sri Ramakrishna, who laughed about it. The master said, the bliss of worship and communion with God is the true wine, the wine of ecstatic love. The Sufis always talk about the wine of love. Uh, you know, that's a metaphor they use a lot. <clears throat> the goal of human life is to love God. Bhakti, devotion, is the one essential thing. This is his credo. One thing in life that's important is loving God. And so devotion is the most important thing. To know God through jnana and reasoning is extremely difficult. To try to know God through the path of Vedanta or reasoning or intellect is difficult. But to know God through love is easy. That's what Ramakrishna said. Then the master sang. Who is there that can understand what Mother Kali is? Even the six darshans are powerless to reveal her. The six darshans are the, the traditional classical yogas of India. They include Vedanta and yoga and Samkhya and Yaya and Vasesika and uh, what's the other one? Mimamsa. Mimamsa, yeah, which is ritualism. So those are the traditional ones. So even these can't reveal God. The master said, again, the one goal of life is to cultivate love for God. The love that the milkmaids, the milkmen and the coward boys of Vrindavan felt to Krishna. Krishna was, um, was uh, an irresistible young boy who lived there. He was a divine being, like our Gopal, very much just had universal love, and everyone loved him. And the cowboys, the cowgirls, the milkmaids, you know, everyone. <clears throat> when Krishna went away to Madura, Krishna was, uh, had to become king, and he went to do, he had to grow up and take on responsibility, and he never went back to Vrindavan once he left. It's not that Madura and Vrindavan are so far apart, but in the... Uh, in those days, something B.C., uh, it had been a long distance. But anyway, he never came back. <clears throat> he says, the cowards roamed about weeping bitterly 
because of their separation from him. <clears throat> Saying this, the master sang with his eyes turned upward. Just now I saw a useful cowherd holding the branch of a young tree. Where are you, Krishna, he cried. He cried, where are you, brother? And his eyes were filled with tears. In the, uh, the, the bhakti scriptures, they talk about the bliss of the pain of separation. This is the bhav, the attitude that great bhaktas have. They enjoy the separation from God as well as the connection with God. And so uh, anything, as long as God is, is there, as long as they're thinking about God, be separated is all right. It's very strange. <clears throat> when M heard this song of the masters laden with love, his eyes were mo moist with tears. Another visit, this is uh, at uh, Keshav Chandra Sen's house in Calcutta, April 2nd, 1882. Now, he first met him in March, so he's, he's been six or seven times already, and it's only one month, okay? So that's background. <clears throat> Sri Ramakrishna was sitting in the drawing room of Keshav Chandra Sen's house in Calcutta. It was five o'clock in the afternoon when Keshav was told of his arrival. He came to the drawing room just to go out. He was about to call on a sick friend. Now he canceled his plan. So the master just showed up there. <clears throat> the master said to him, you have so many things to attend to. Besides, you have to edit a newspaper. Now, Keshav was the head of the uh, Brahmo Samaj, which was a... Um, a, what, what we call it, a Hindu reform group of the 19th century. There are certain Hindus who are affected by English culture and modern culture. So they believed in, um, they wanted to clean up Hinduism um, from all the worship. They, they only believed in one God, formless God, and they wanted to make it rational. They rationalized it. However, they met Ramakrishna <laughs> and so uh, they got Shaktipat from Ramakrishna and they became a little crazy. But they were attracted to him. They always came to see him and he would talk like a little child to them. And so it was very cute. <clears throat> so the master says to him, you have so many things to tend to. Besides, you have to edit a newspaper. You have no time to come to Dakshinaswar. So I've come to see you. When I heard of your illness, I... I vowed green coconut and sugar to, to the Divine Mother for your recovery. Didn't we see that previously? You made an offering for the recovery. I said to her, Mother, if something happens to Keshav, who shall I talk to in Calcutta? Love to talk with him. Sri Ramakrishna spoke to Pratap and the other Brahmo devotees. M was seated nearby. Pointing him, the master said to Keshav, would you please ask him why he doesn't come to Dakshinaswar anymore? He repeatedly tells me he's not attached to his wife and children. Well, that's a good thing for Ramakrishna. He says, why doesn't he come? You know, He's been only been six times this month. <clears throat> M had been paying visits to the master for about a month. His absence for a time from Dakshinaswar called forth this remark. Ramakrishna had asked M to write to him if his coming were delayed. 
girls will often do that. They'll say, where have you been? Why aren't you coming? They'll do that. Because they know that uh, it's very important for devotees to have darshan and come to the ashram. Pandit Samadhyayi was present. The Brahma devotees introduced him to Sri Ramakrishna as a scholar well-versed in the Vedas and other scriptures. Now notice what Ramakrishna's uh, reaction is. He says, the master said, yes, I can see inside him through his eyes as one sees objects in a room through the glass door. Would you like to hear that said to you? <clears throat> anyway, Trilokia, another one, sang. Suddenly the master stood up and went into samadhi, repeating the mother's name. He sang a devotional song. Coming down a little to the plane of sense consciousness, he danced and sang. I drink, this is a, a poem by Ram Prasad, who's a, an 18th century Bengali poet. <clears throat> so... He said, I drink no ordinary wine, but wine of everlasting bliss. As I repeat my mother Kali's name, it so intoxicates my mind that people take me to be drunk. First, my guru gives molasses for the making of the wine. Is that a stage in winemaking, is molasses? I don't know, science is right. My longing is the ferment to transform it. Knowledge is the maker of the wine. Knowledge, the maker of the wine, prepares it for me. And when it is done, my mind imbibes it from the bottle of the mantra. Taking the mother's name to make it pure, drink this wine, says Ram Prasad, and the four fruits of life are yours. The four fruits are karma, artha, kama, and moksha. So uh, uh, what are they? Virtue and wealth and pleasure and liberation. So everything, you get it all, as they say. The master looked at Keshab tenderly as if Keshab were his very own. He seemed to fear that Keshab might belong to someone else. That is to say, he might become a worldly person. Looking at him, the master sang again and then explained the song to Keshab. That is to say, he's telling Keshab, renounce everything and call on God. He alone is real. All else is illusory. Without the realization of God, everything is futile. This is the great secret. So what's he saying? Prioritize your relationship with God. Don't get so caught up in the world. The master sat down again, began to converse with the devotees. For a while, he listened to a piano recital, enjoying it like a child. Then he was taken to the inner apartments where he was served with refreshments, and the ladies saluted him. The ladies were all in the other apartment, and they brought Ramakrishna in there. As the master was leaving Keshav's house, the Brahmo devotees accompanied him respectfully, to his carriage. <clears throat> How are we doing? One more? One more bit? Yeah. yeah? Yes, we can do one more bit. Sunday, April 9th, 1882. 
Sri Ramakrishna was seated with his devotees in the drawing room of Pran Krishna Mukherjee's house in Calcutta. He had a lot of devotees in town, and they would invite him, and he would go and have satsang there. They'd invite all their friends, uh, locals, and they'd all come and have satsang there. Uh, it was between 1 and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Since Colonel Vishwanath, a VIP devotee of the master, lived in the neighborhood, the master intended to visit him before going to see Keshav at the Lily Cottage. Going to see Keshav again. <clears throat> a number of neighbors and other friends of Pran Krishna had been invited to meet Sri Ramakrishna. They were eager to hear his words. The Master, God in his glory, this universe is his glory. It must mean Shakti, it must be translated. So this universe is God's Shakti. People see his glory and forget everything. They do not see God, whose glory is this world. So they, they get absorbed in the creation, and they forget the creator. They get so the manifestation is so fascinating. They get caught up in externals. But there's too much misery and worry in that. This world is like a whirlpool. Once a boat gets into it, there's no hope of its rescue. Again, the world is like a thorny bush. You have you hardly freed yourself from one set of thorns before you find yourself entangled in another. Once you enter a labyrinth, you find it very difficult to get out. Living in the world, a man becomes seared, as it were. Devotee, then what is the way, sir? Good question. <clears throat> Ramakrishna says, Prayer in the company of holy men. You cannot get rid of an ailment without the help of a physician. But it's not enough to be in the company of the guru only for a day. You should constantly seek it, for the disease has become chronic. Again, you can't understand the pulse rightly unless you live with a physician. Moving with him constantly, you learn to distinguish between the pulse of phlegm and the pulse of bile. You know, in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, they can tell a lot just taking the pulse of a person. In Western medicine, we only uh, can count the beats. It's, they should learn this art, but they can tell. Uh, what do you tell? You tell various things. <laughs> they do that in homeopathy too. They do pulse. No, but, but um, <clears throat> it's quite remarkable. So anyway, uh, the physician understands the pulse rightly. <clears throat> Devotee, what is the good of holy company, uh, Ramakrishna? It begets yearning for God. It begets love of God. Nothing whatsoever is achieved in spiritual life without yearning. We would say mumakshuta, desire to know the truth. By constant living in the company of holy men, the, souls become, the soul becomes restless for God. This yearning is like the state of mind of a man who is someone ill in the family. His mind is in a state of perpetual restlessness 
thinking how the sick person may be cured. Or again, one should feel a yearning for God like the yearning of a man who's lost his job and is wandering from one office to another in search of work. <clears throat> if he is rejected at a certain place which has no vacancy, he goes there again the next day and inquires, is there any vacancy today? There's another way, earnestly praying to God as your very own. We should say to him, oh God, what is your nature? Reveal yourself to me. Now this is like Tukaram Maharaj, who would talk to God like that, or my favorite, Nachman of Breslau, the, the, the rabbi who had taught this method of praying intimately to God, just speaking your mind to him, doing Shiva process with God. <clears throat> he says, oh God, you must show yourself to me, for why else have you created me? You should try that inside and say, God, show me the self. Show me the self. Do that for a second. Go inside. Say, God, show me the truth. Show me yourself. Show me myself. Show me the self. Okay. <clears throat> says, some Sikh devotees once said to me, God is full of compassion. I said, why should we all call him compassionate? He's our creator. What is there to be wondered at if he is kind to us? Parents bring up their children. Do you call that an act of kindness? They must act that way. So God has to be compassionate. It's his very nature. Human beings aren't very compassionate. Human beings are crude and cruel and disgusting and vile, as we well know. But underneath it is the divine. Underneath it, even in the most cruel and heartless, uh, crude person, there's love. The self is there, just covered up and crusted by stupidity. <laughs> <clears throat> he says, therefore, we should force our demands on God. He is our father and mother, isn't he? If the son demands his patrimony and gives up food and drink in order to enforce his demands, imagine that. So I says, I want my inheritance. I'm going to starve myself to death if you don't give it to me. That's not in our culture, is it? <laughs> then the parents... And to share over to him three years before the right time. <laughs> or when the child demands some pice from his mother and says over and over again, Mother, give me a couple of pice. I beg you on my knees. Then the mother, seeing his earnestness and un unable to bear it anymore, crosses the, uh, tosses the money to him. Pice, as I mentioned before, is a very small amount of money. It's one-sixteenth of a rupee. But in, for a kid living in the 19th century in India, it must have seemed like a lot of money. <clears throat> There's another benefit from holy company, Ramakrishna says. It helps one cultivate discrimination between the real and the unreal. They always say it this way, to know the real from the unreal. God alone is real, that is to say, 
the eternal substance, and the world is unreal, that is to say transitory. So it doesn't mean unreal, it means it's not, it's not permanent. So the, the, what happens when you meditate, when you have satsang, is you learn what's permanent. You could say it another way, what, you learn what's good for you from what's bad for you. What expands you from what contracts you. What uplifts you from what limits you. And we go headlong, as you know, lots of people, I'm not saying you, but all your friends, you know, they keep doing dumb things that make them more miserable, don't they? Your friends. <clears throat> and willy-nilly, they're drawn to do really dumb things, and then it backfires on them. And so when you practice spirituality and hang out in satsang, you learn which is good for you, which is bad, which is truly uplifts you, which connects you to the divine, and which takes you away from that. He goes, he says, as soon as a man finds his mind wandering away to the unreal, he should apply discrimination. As soon as he feels the absence of God, he should let that wake him up. And that's a brilliant line. I think I should leave it with that line. After I talk about it, of course. <clears throat> as soon as he feels the absence of God, he should let that wake him up. And this is the path of the Shakti. This is the way of the Shakti. This is Bhavana Rako. This is, you, you have to pay attention to your inner state. And your inner state will always tell you when you're moving in the right direction. When you move towards the right direction, you feel the Shakti, you feel the spiritual energy. You feel the sense of well-being, the upliftment the energy, the joy, the love, the peace, all of that. And when you move in the wrong direction, you feel the opposite. You feel the depletion, the loss, the contraction, all of that. And so it's, a, it's actually a feedback mechanism that is within us, only we haven't paid attention to it. We've followed our desires and our mind and our conceptions and our opinions, and by f following them, we run into a lot of trouble. But through the discrimination he's talking about, we get in touch with the reality and we see which way the Shakti moves and which way it doesn't. Sometimes we make mistakes and we have to work on it, practice it, understand it. But this way he's saying, he, he feels the absence. When you feel the absence of the Shakti, of that harmoniousness, that wholeness, that energy, that should wake you up and say, oh, I must be moving in the wrong direction. There's no Shakti in this. I must be moving in the wrong direction. This Shakti is nothing but the presence of the divine. So he's teaching the, the same path we practice, the path, the way of the Shakti, the Bhavana Rako. Bhagavan Nityananda said, keep the feeling, he meant keep in touch with the Shakti. When you're not in the Shakti, move towards it. When you're in the Shakti, hold it. And this is the, is the path. You can begin from wherever you are, however you understand that. Uh, try to keep a state of peace inside, the clear space of good feeling. Even if you don't understand the concept of the Shakti, it may be alien to you. 
but you understand how feeling good is. You understand what peacefulness is. So keep steering yourself inwardly towards that place of peace, towards that place of feeling good. And eventually you'll experience that shakti, that upliftment that's inside everybody. So let's meditate. The best way to learn about it is through meditation. Because in meditation, we try to go behind the mind, behind the chattering mind, behind negative emotions, and come in touch with that place of peace and upliftment. That's at our core. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And the goddess lives within us as the Shakti. That's her true form. The guru lives within us as the self. That's his true form. And God dwells within us as the divine energy. And so look within. And if you look within, you encounter difficulties, chattering mind, emotions all over the place, mind going here and there, past and future, and running around. Let it become quiet. Just let it quiet down. Because behind all that chatter, there is this place of divinity, a clear space of good feeling, the place of the Shakti of divinity. So we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's meditate. 